it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. Or this week, beer in the Great North, as we chat with Great Northern's soon-to-be ex-brand manager, Antonia Chochari. October marks 10 years of CUB's breakaway beer brand, Great Northern. In fact, the day that we recorded this interview was the brand's actual birthday, as I learned during the chat. And so I get to learn about the things that have made the brand such a success, including how a brand brewed in Brisbane still resonates with those in the Great North of Queensland. But Antonia has also worked on some of CUB's brands that Radio Brews News, and by Radio Brews News, I mean me, have been most fixated with over the years of Brews News. And so we have a fascinating chat about Cascade, Pure Blonde, Matilda Bay, and the Yak Ales as well. I genuinely love this conversation about beer and marketing and thank Antonia very much for being such a willing part of a very broad-ranging chat. I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Antonia Chorchari, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Hello, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Now, I have to, before we go anywhere else, I have to congratulate you on your new job. Um, we nominally getting you on to talk a little bit about uh, 10 years of Great Northern, um, but you're in the very last stretch of being the brand manager for Great Northern. Yes, I have about 10 days left before I knew, move into a new role, staying at CUB, um, but moving into the, the strategy team, which is a, a central team we have working across all the different parts of the business, so the beer, um, the non-beer, and also the, the craft ventures side. So very much looking forward to a new challenge, but we'll certainly miss Great Northern. It's been a great few years working on the brand. Well, And we will come to that. As, as I said, that's the real reason we wanted to chat, but um, we, we always like to introduce our guests um, to, to the listeners, particularly some of the ones who, you know, everyone knows the brewers these days, but sometimes they don't know the people who, uh, you know, build the brands and, and get out there and do them. So tell us a little bit about uh, your background and who is Antonia Chochari? Sure. So um, I've worked in marketing all my career. I started off actually working in insights in a, at an agency called The Lab. Um, and we did a lot of work with consumer insights, a lot of research, understanding brands, what they mean to people and how brands can best service the, the kind of needs of consumers. But I really felt like I was missing that commercial experience and, and understanding how a big machine operation works. Um, so I moved over to CUB about nine years ago. And in my time at CUB, I've had the great fortune of working in marketing and sales. Um, I've worked on brands. I started out working on Cascade. Um, I worked on Cascade for, for two and a half years, which was such a fantastic brand to work on. Australia's oldest brewery really, really rich history uh, and a beautiful place um, being the Cascade Brewery in Hobart. I spent a lot of time there. Um, and then after my time on Cascade, I moved on to Pure Blonde. And this was a, a really important time in Pure Blonde's history. The brand was uh, starting to decline uh, and we really relaunched the, the health and wellness benefits of the brand at the time uh, back in 2015. Then I worked on Yaks and it was my 
foray into the craft world, which is, uh, as you would know, a whole a whole world onto itself, and and really started to understand that environment and that landscape pretty well. Working on on the Yaks brand. Um, after that, I moved into sales, and I worked as a national account manager on the Dan Murphy's team, and that was an incredible experience working in sales. I, I just learned so much about the industry, uh, about retailers, about how we can best meet, um, you know, the, the various different needs of, of our retailers and consumers. So it was a it was an eye opening experience. One of the one of the um, better learning experiences I've had at CUB. I came back into marketing about three years ago, working on Great Northern. Um, so yeah, I've had a I've had a long and interesting journey at CUB. It, there's been many different pathways and and lots of different opportunities, which is probably why I've stuck around for so long. You know, it's <laughs> it's not usual to stay in a company for a long time anymore, but I feel like I've had a new job every couple of years. And look, it's funny that you say that, and we'll go back and talk about some of those brands that you worked for, if you don't mind, because there will be some fascinating insights on on, on that progression, as you say. Um, you know, you, you've been involved with some of them at a critical time of their history. But that's one of the criticisms that's often labelled at some of the modern big multinational brewing companies is that you know somebody will come in from marketing at Procter and Gamble they'll sort of take over a brand for you know 18 months and then they'll move on without really coming to understand the product after nine years at CUB I'd imagine that you have a fairly um, strong affinity for the liquid for the product that you sell oh absolutely and you know over over the years we've had many many trainings many tastings uh, many sessions at the brewery, understanding not only the product but how it's made, the ingredients, the the history of beer. So you really become very intimately familiar with it. And you know, one of the questions people always ask me is, "Do you drink beer?" Like, of course I drink beer. You know, that's my I love beer. I love the industry. I love the product. And you might not start out that way. Like I certainly didn't start at CUB nine years ago loving beer. But you you come to love it because you just appreciate it so much more. It, it is so much more than just four ingredients. There is, it is a, a really fascinating product. I, lo- I love how you say that it's more than four ingredients because obviously for craft brewers these days, there are a lot more than just four ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. Yeah. It- Talk to me about Cascade because you, you, you've worked with some of the brands or sort of in um, you know, brand adjacent to some of my favourite beer brands, They're, you know the, the brands that I've grown up with and Cascade was one of them and it, it, it's one that I point to quite a bit when I talk about CUB because the insights that I've watched CUB have over the years um, have been you know, such insightful into craft beer and the industry. But sometimes I just think that they, you know, as a business, have almost been too far ahead of the curve. And Cascade was one of those um, back in the, the mid-2000s when it launched the first Harvest um, Ale, which I'm, I still think is one of the first green hop beers of the modern mm. craft uh, revolution. It had the seasonal range. It had uh, a, an app in the early days of apps. It had a uh, an app probably just before your time there, given that you started. The Brewer's Nose. The Brewer's Nose, yeah. And yeah. I, I was fortunate enough to have written the um, tasting notes to it. So I'm potentially a little bit biased, but <laughs> it was just for those people who don't remember it, you could walk into any of the major bottle shops and there were a lot fewer beers 
<laughs> um, 12 yeah. years ago. So it was probably a little bit more manageable then. But I think there were six or 700 beers in the app. You could scan a barcode and it would give you a taste note on that beer, even for you know craft breweries, breweries that weren't owned by CUB, other um, breweries. So it was, it was still one of the best outreach educational activations that I think any brewery that I've seen has, uh, ha- has done. Um, and, but Cascade seemed to sort of have, a, have a crack at it and then just didn't ever seem to really break through and you hardly see it you know, promoted these days in terms of a marketing budget. Um, mm. What was it like working for the brand when they were trying to really uh, sort of give it a bit of a push? Oh, look, it was, I, I think you, you nailed it on the head. Cascade was really ahead of its time. Like, you know, even thinking about before Brewer's Nose and before First Harvest, even Cascade Premium Light, you know, that brand mm. was about great tasting light beer and, and you know, there was, it, it didn't exist and, and Cascade really led um, that light segment into a completely new space. Um, and that was a real catalyst for Cascade, Cascade Premium Light. And it was considered to be innovative and a leader for many years, particularly even when I was working on Cascade. Cascade Premium Light was a top 10 CUB beer. I think at one stage it was even a top five CUB beer. Um, and, and this was before mid-strength and, and those trends evolved. But it was an absolute leader. I started on Cascade just as Brewer's Nose um, had been launched and it was really, you know, the Brewers knows it was an app that existed when people didn't really have smartphones. You know, that was really like one of the, it was, they were just starting to, to take off. It was 2010. Um, so the iPhone had been around for, you know, three or four years. And so we were absolutely leading, but I, I think we were just a bit ahead of the time. If something like that came out now, wow, what a, like, it would have been incredible. So, look, it, it was great working on the brand, particularly when we were trying to maintain that innovative um, spirit of Cascade uh, for Australia's oldest brewery. Like, it was this great juxtaposition between the history and the heritage of the brand, but the brand trying to break into new spaces and, and try new things. So we had a lot of support from the business. Um, you know, there was... People really recognised the value in in Cascade, and so we were trying to restore some of its former glory. Um, Mid strength was starting to take a lot of share from light beer, and, and given so much of the volume for Cascade was in light beer, we were trying different ways to innovate. Craft was on the rise, um, you know, was was certainly not new, but was starting to really take off in Australia. And, and we thought, given Cascade's provenance, its heritage, um, we could crack crack that market with with Cascade. Uh, and it wasn't without a lack of trying. Um, I think the the market just evolved so so quickly, and uh, we we didn't quite land it with with Cascade. But yeah, th- there's still a lot of richness in in that great great brand. Still one of my favourites. Absolutely, and, and it's one of the most beautiful breweries in the world in mm. terms of, of the location and the, the, the building. And it, it's been a almost like a, a masters of uh, marketing, watching, you know, as, as businesses have tried to um, keep those brands uh, relevant in, in the market because I guess it was a mainstream brand in Tasmania, but the business yes. saw it as a brand that might be able to cross over into craft. And yep. that's a real challenge to, to try and not lose the one, 
but gain the other, isn't it? Well, that's that's exactly right. And you were just constantly trying to balance that. Where does the investment go? How can we maintain uh, focus the the brands and the the ones that are paying the bills and that are bringing in all the money, <laughs> but try and try something new. And and at the time, Coopers were doing really well with with what they were doing with um, Pale in particular. And Pale Ales were just starting to really, you know, uh, gain their their stride and popularity. So, yeah, it was it was just a it was just a juggling act, really. And there was a couple of things that I think are a little bit sometimes consumers wrongly perceive um, when changes are made and there was the big kerfuffle when the bottle size changed. Yep. Which I always, as an outsider, always perceive was less about trying to sort of save that 30 mils of beer, you know, in in terms of profits Mm. and more about making the brand contemporary, which was, of course, 330 mil bottles rather than the old Mm. um, chunky 375 mil bottles. But how much do you think that hurt the brand in, in, in a longer term way? Yeah, I, th- I think so. And, and, you know, you can never underestimate those those noticeable differences to consumers. They, um, But, you know, from memory, and you're really testing my memory here, I'm pretty sure that 330ml bottle was more expensive than, uh, you know, just using the, the standard bottle and, and having the liquid in there. <laughs> well, because you had the um, embossed um, correct. It was label on everything. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, like to, to change something like that on a production line, you need new capital, new boxes, new clusters, you know, it's it's not. So I, I remember that wasn't a decision we made lightly. Um, and I guess we had expected that that packaging and that disruption would bring new people to the brand. And that's always the hope that, you know, you, you don't annoy your loyal followers, but the changes that you make help bring the brand to a new audience. But I, I guess maybe we made a few too many steps. You know, we not only reduced the size of the bottle, we also reduce the number of bottles in a carton. So we tried 16 bottle cartons. Um, I did not remember that. There you go. Yeah. And that was, a, I think, a huge lesson just because we did that to try and have the price point at a really accessible place. So, you know, craft beer was quite expensive and, and not often promoted. And so what we thought is, okay, well, why don't we do a 16 pack? That way the cost to consumer is is less. Um, and they don't have to outlay, you know, all of that cash to to try something new. But in hindsight, I think beer was very much still 24 cartons and 30 blocks and there wasn't a whole heap of variety. There is a lot more now. You know, Bolter is 16 packs. I, I was going to say, very, very well. there, there, there's just another that I'm going to add to the list in where CUB mm. has been, and Cascade in particular, has been ahead of the curve because yeah. um, four packs and 16 cartons are yeah. rapidly becoming uh, almost a de facto standard in craft beer. Yeah, yeah, that was nine years, eight, eight years ago when we launched those for, for Cascade. But um, again, maybe just a bit ahead of the times. Some of these themes that we're going to develop as we talk about some of the steps you've taken to the Great Northern will be things that, you know, I, I will come back to when we talk about Great Northern mm. to see whether you've applied these learnings to the brand because I think as yeah. a brand – Great Northern hasn't made any mistakes. So, but mm. we'll, we'll just sort of put a, a, a pin in that and talk a little bit about then about Pure Blonde because you talked about health and wellness um, and bringing mm. back the benefits of that. You must um, sort of, I, I, I don't know, actually, I won't tell you how you feel. You tell me how you feel <laughs> when you look at, you know, seltzer um, as being a, mm. uh, essentially flavoured alcohol, but is carrying a lot of those wellness um, benefits as well. Oh, look. Um... I think it's, I really enjoyed watching Seltzer develop. Um, I think it's, 
any innovation in liquor is good for all of liquor. So, you know, we it, it's great that there's there's something new to talk about. Um, Pure Blonde, uh, you know, talking about brands that were ahead of the curve, that was another one. Um, you know, the first real low-carb beer in, in the market, very quickly followed by other brands. Um, when I came on the brand, it was really, you know, we had lost our way. We were a very innovative brand um, for, for many, many years and a real leader. Um, and that had fallen away. So, so the project that I worked on and, and my time on Pure Blonde was really about bringing new news back to Pure Blonde. Yeah, um, health and wellness and, and better for you, whether it's seltzer or beer or cider, needs new news. Um, and, and Pure Blonde hadn't had new news for many, many years. Um, Pure Blonde Premium Mid would have been the last time before 2015 that there was any kind of reason to talk about Pure Blonde. So we reformulated the beer and, and that was really just to kickstart the brand again. You know, give our give our sales teams something to believe in, give our customers reason to consider Pure Blonde again, um, and our drinkers something to to kind of put the brand back on their radar. So we just wanted to bring that innovative spirit back to the brand, um, knowing that the trend of you know better for you and health and wellness was very much still prevalent, if not more important than it was back when we launched the brand. You know, I didn't work on Pure Blonde for a long time. I think it was, you know, 14 or 15 months. But my biggest lesson that I learned on Pure Blonde and something that I carried forward when I worked on Yaks and later on Great Northern was just how important it is to have your business believe in what you're doing. Uh, and we had so much belief in Pure Blonde back in, in 2015. Um, we went around to each of the states. We told them why we were changing. We told them what we were doing. Um, and, you know, everyone had our backs and, and that was just a, a great time to, to really kickstart that brand again. What I would say is maybe we've lost our way again a little bit, but um, I've had the great fortune in the last couple of months of also looking after um, Pure Blonde and, and Carlton Dry. And we are getting back there with Pure Blonde and, and hopefully what you see in um, in the next little while is, is a return to what I've called the glory days of, <laughs> of Pure Blonde, which is funny brand, you know, doing what can be a bit boring, which is functional benefits, doing them in a way that is exciting and engaging and, you know, just a bit of fun because beer should be, you know, fun. It should be. And it, it, it's funny, um, beers like Pure Blonde uh, are beers that, I have to force myself to have multiple personalities when I when I approach mm. them because there is that part of me that hates any part of the beer category that holds itself out as being better for you because of the because yeah. of the perception or the, the possibility that it can hurt the rest of the beer category. Mm. But then when you look at uh, the, the, as I say the rise of seltzers, you can't ever get away from the fact that you can. You, you can't swim too fast upstream from mm. community perception. Um, and sometimes you have to take that path of least resistance uh, in building market. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the trend is there. And, and the thing is, if you don't lean into that trend, you'll just get left behind. If people are looking for better for your alternatives or and that's a macro trend and it's something that is, that is a need for consumers that's not being met if you're not meeting it they're just going to go somewhere else and we want them to stay in liquor we want them to stay in beer and, and pure blondes really helped i think do that keep people 
who maybe a little bit more health conscious, maybe who don't want all the carbs and cows in their beverages. Um, they don't have to leave beer. They, they can kind of have it all. Can we at least agree that whenever we use the phrase the better for you or wellness trend, that we have a little asterisk above it that says it's not right. really better for you? It's um, not water. It's not water, that's for sure. That's um, yeah, no, no, you're right. It, it's it's uh, better for you than other alcoholic alternatives. Potentially it's a bit harder to put on the label. But, uh, well, but, but, but I mean, it, even is, is that true? I, I once had um, somebody who was sort of a buyer for one of the – I won't say too much because it might identify that person, but the, the person explained to me that the low-carb beer trend was really for people who wanted to feel better about not changing their behaviour. Uh, that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, like I think there is an emotional and a functional benefit. So there is definitely a functional benefit for low carb beers in that there are less calories and less carbs. So you know it isn't the same as drinking a, a fuller strength, higher calorie or higher carb beer. But emotionally, I think there is also something that you're doing there for people. And there's many. There's many scientific studies around your mind and your gut and how it's all connected and maybe people do think that and there is that emotional yeah yeah exactly like i don't think we can underestimate the emotional effect as but but there are also functional benefits now the other thing that i picked up on is you know pure blonde was undoubtedly the first beer to really go large in in the pure blonde space but it wasn't the first and i think um we, we'd spoken to mick jonteff who was one of the mm. production bro- who they you know there had been beers that had tried it but there was something about you know it was again it was once explained to me that you know blokes who were the primary purchases of beer didn't want to buy a diet beer because blokes didn't diet but as soon as it had mm. this idea of wellness um, about it which was different mm. from dieting it was a, a positive behavior rather than a negative behavior um, and pure blonde was the first to really wrap itself in, in in that perception how important is it for branding and marketing when the liquid is functionally the same but the, the way that you present that liquid to a market oh i think it's hugely important and and probably you know we've done a lot of diagnosis of the success factors of pure blonde um, you might remember some of the early marketing campaigns we did they were undoubtedly a key success factor for Pure Blonde because we were talking about, you know, pretty pretty functional benefits and, you know, you're right, like diet and wellness and things that at the time those traditional beer drinkers probably didn't want to, to really be holding a hand, holding a beer in their hand that said, I'm on a diet. But we presented the brand to market in a way that was so fun. And we had Brutopia and Truck and Burp and all these great ads that um, people loved. So they actually really liked the Pure Blonde brand. And so holding a Pure Blonde in your hand didn't necessarily say, I'm on a diet because the brand represented so much more than low carb. It was it was really funny and, and really well loved. Do you think we'll see brands that big anymore with media being so fractured and you know Mm. once upon a time when you had a brand that was big you automatically had the budget that came with that you had a very um well a relatively confined audience um you know four channels of television Um, so you could reach a lot Mm. of the the, you know you could invest in that one channel um do, do you think we'll see those sorts of ads again Oh, look, it's it's the constant debate. Um, I, I don't know. I really don't. I, I think we'll see great advertising, like 
absolutely. But, you know, I don't think those big production budgets will come back. Like it, it's it's not efficient spend. There is less money. Um, and so I think we'll still see creativity and, and humour and, um, you know, good advertising. Uh, but the days of the big ad, I'm not sure. Um, even buying more than 30 seconds on TV is, is pretty unheard of in terms of ad spots. And, and some of those ads were a minute or longer. That's the thing. I, I think we're in one yeah. of those interesting times mm. in history where we're, we're relearning um, how we do things. So I can only imagine what it's like as a brand manager, how you plan a media spend <laughs> with, with such a fractured, um, diluted media pool. Correct, yeah. And more competition, There's you've got to balance your priority market. So do we want this brand to be all over the country or do we need to focus our efforts because we can only afford Eastern Seaboard or we can only afford WA like there, there is so much more to consider whereas maybe the marketers of the past at CUB didn't have to make those trade-offs there was just enough to go around. Moving on from Pure Blonde you sort of went heavily into the the, the, the craft segment spending some time yep. with Yak Ales which again is yep. another fascinating insight. Yak Ales obviously spun out of Matilda Bay which is one of the most storied craft breweries in the country mm. but you know, despite many attempts to resurrect that brand, it was the yak, you know, or fat yak particularly, that sort of almost took on a life of its own. Yeah, and, and we noticed that at the time. Fat yak was was still the Matilda Bay brand that was doing a lot of the heavy lifting and was the one that was resonating in market because it probably found that good balance of um, full flavour, you know, more than just uh, your your kind of standard lager or ale, but wasn't too challenging. Uh, so it was that good introductory craft or what we call it these days brand. Um, and there weren't a heap like it at the time. Yaks, yaks kind of were not as crowded as maybe some brands are at the moment with, with the craft landscape. Um, and when I started working on yaks, um, about a year prior to me starting was the first time CB had innovated off yaks and that was with the launch of Lazy Yak. So that was really trying to take the equity which we had in, in the Fat Yak brand and, and expanding that beyond uh, beyond the pale ale and, and it was a, a, I think we called it a summer ale or easy drinking Australian ale. I can't remember which <laughs> one it was. Um, but it was, it was trying to meet, we, we could see that craft was more than just pale ales and, and craft was, expanding into new styles um, and we thought yaks could go there too. Um, I worked on the launch of Wild Yak uh, which was trying to tap into that Pacific Ale more fruitier style of beer and so you know we, we thought yaks was the had the equity and the love and, and we could try a new way with, with that brand. And that's interesting because as a as a beer lover um, and someone who loved the Matilda Bay brand and the, mm. the first craft beer I ever had, um, and I, you probably weren't even born in, uh, <laughs> I think it was 1989 when I, uh, or 1988 when I had a uh, Redback here in Brisbane. No, um, I was born. Oh, you were? Okay, I'm sorry. That, that wasn't a, yeah, I wasn't fishing for your age there. But, uh, you know, it was a brand that's been very, very important to me and I saw um, it was being you know, resurrected, it had beers like Alpha Pale Ale mm. um, and 
yak. Um, actually, I don't know if you caught the podcast we did a couple of weeks ago with Jamie Fox, who was the Matilda Bay brand manager around mm. those days, and we sort of talked uh, about some of that. And uh, and then you saw a, a range of billboard ads and ads where it was almost you know Matilda Bay home of fat yaks, and it was trying to drag Matilda Bay along with. The, the, the yaks and then there was almost a point where as an observer you sort of see it well forget it Matilda Bay isn't going to is an anchor so we'll just go with the yaks and that sounds like the time that you were talking about that you you came on board and um, rather than having itchy green pants and some of those mm. and Big Helga some of those other quizzical beer names everything was leveraging off the the, the, the yak brand is that how the strategy worked? Yeah, and, and again, it probably comes back to to focus um, and investment. So, you know, really the strategy behind the Yaks was we could invest in the Yak brand um, with media and sales focus and whatever else we needed, um, and that would halo a, a lot of brands versus needing to build those Matilda-based sub-brands individually. So, you know, that would require investment into Big Helga and Itcha Green Pants and, you know, all the others as well. So it was really like, you know, trying to consolidate and be more efficient and effective with what we were doing under one sub-brand and, and, and putting a bet on that um, that sub-brand. I'm really pleased to see, you know, Matilda Bay back at CUB. I think, there's you know, there's still some work to do, but similarly to Cascade, it has fantastic heritage and fantastic history. And um, I think we should we should be able to revive some of those great beers and great products that, consumers will still love. And, and I guess all of that brings us to uh, Great Northern. Um, and yes. you know, I, I see so many of these themes intertwining in the success of Great Northern. It was launched 10 years ago uh, this month. Today. Oh, was it today? Oh, really? Yes. So, okay, yes. so it's the 21st of October um, yes. that uh, it, it was launched. And, you know, at, at the time um, it was a beer that on one hand was very easily dismissed um, by, by mm. writers such as myself because it, in, in terms of liquid, you could have thrown a blanket over Corona, Summer Bright mm-hmm. Lager. Um, but it, it was one of a, a number of beers um, that were very, very similar in terms of the liquid and in a blind tasting, mm. many people wouldn't have picked it out. But there was something about the brand that just resonated um, mm. and it, it took off. In, in hindsight, I know you weren't there at the, at the start of it, but in hindsight, what does the team think is the secret source for the brand? Mm, we've, again, we've done a lot of diagnosis on Great Northern and, and think about its success factors. Um, it was a bit of a perfect storm, if I'm honest. Um, we were at a time where those easier drinking liquids and styles of beer were on trend. So we had a we had a product that we we knew would work. I think the magic really came from where Australia and where society was at a time. And and Great Northern really, when it launched in market, it it was very different. It didn't really play to the tropes that the beer at the time was when it came to marketing and advertising. You know, there was a lot of blokey larrikin humour which um, worked for some brands but Great Northern took a different path and we really um, we 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 talked to the great outdoors and we were uh, we talked to Queenslanders and their passions and and we were also only in Queensland for five years so that was probably another success factor was that 
we were very patient with Great Northern. Um, we didn't try to become a big brand overnight. Like we we wanted to seed it and seed it well and get our customers involved in the creation of Great Northern and make sure that we did it slowly. And I think that was a big part of its success as well is we we were very clear on who we were and where we wanted to play. And it wasn't until 2015 that the brand uh, escaped Queensland. It's interesting you talk about Great Northern playing to the great outdoors because in, mm. in a lot of ways, if you just sort of looked generically at, at beer brands and, and I think Forex, you know, they were always four blokes out in the bush, you know, hunting, mm. fishing, whatever. And there was still, so it was playing to that as well. But there was something about Great Northern that was a much soft, it was the outback that was almost a blank screen that the beer drinker projected themselves as opposed to having mm. to identify with the four buffy blokes round of barbecue. Yeah, I, and like even thinking back to our, um, some of our earlier advertising, you know, I'm, I've got this picture of a billboard in my head. What you can mostly see is the landscape versus the people in the billboard. You know, it was just this projection of what Queensland was and what Queensland meant. And you didn't have to try and identify yourself in the picture or in the ad. Um, it was really that feeling and that place uh, that we were we were connecting to versus the people in, in the spot. How hard is it to come up? You know, again, there's an insight there and we, we've talked a little bit about some of the insights that some of the other brands you've been associated with have had. How hard is it to come up with those insights? And more importantly, how hard is it to come up with those insights at the right time that they actually become, you know, matches to, to light um, and explode? Oh, I'd say it's really hard. And it's probably why, you know, a brand like Great Northern doesn't come along very often um, because it is hard to predict or it's, you know, we, we have consumer listening and we talk to consumers all the time, but really to to hit a, a pain point, or not a pain point, but to, to land on an insight that is so pertinent and so um, real um, and, and to solve attention for consumers is is can be really hard. And so um, I think it's one of the reasons why we don't see brands pop up like Great Northern every now and then. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it's hard. Talking about, it's, uh, about the outdoors, an important part of the Great Northern brand is the link to Cairns, isn't it? Um, yes. And, and even the media release we got recently sort of talked about it was the first, CUB's first brewery in Queensland. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's still, I, I can never remember what the term is, you know, pays homage or, you know, sort of <laughs> draws inspiration from, from, from the Great North. And I hope you don't mind that, you know, I, I, it always gives me a laugh that, um, Yadala, where its brood is closer to Melbourne yeah. than it is to, to to Cairns, but that's you know again that, that's just the cynic in me as opposed to the uh, consumer. But you know, how important is it to consumers that there is or was or could be a brewery in Cairns, and how much is it do do you think it is to them that it's the idea of the the, the beer of the Great North? I think it, it, when we launched the brand, it was very, very important. And it was part of the reason why we didn't just call it the Great Northern Brewery. Um, we also used inspiration from products that the Great Northern Brewery used to produce, like Cairns Draft for the Marlin um, that's currently on the Great Northern packaging was a, a symbol that was used in the, on the Cairns Draft logos. And so we, we launched the brand 
in far north Queensland because we knew that that symbol and that name meant something to Queenslanders. It was incredibly important to do that because you would know Queenslanders are pretty parochial <laughs> and, and um, heritage and history and provenance is, is very important. Um, and so we, we wanted to be um, in the mix. We, we wanted to, to be considered, but we wanted to do it in a really authentic way. And so um, we launched in the regions. We launched in Cairns, we launched in Townsville, and then we made our way kind of down south. Um, but it felt like for from what I hear at the time, you know, the, the drink has really resonated with the brand because it felt like it was for them and we were talking to them uh, as far north Queenslanders, not just another beer brand. That's the thing, you know, on one hand, there's an authenticity around the communication and a sincerity around the communication, but there's not an actuality around that it's, it's you know, it, it, I, I guess if you look at it a certain way, it's the first brewery that CUB um, owned in Queensland. But mm. it's also the brewery that they shut, <laughs> you know. Yes, they did. Yeah, well, which again, like that's that's business, and it's it's. But mm. you know, do you actually need a and do there need to be that element of truth about there having been a brewery to have the sincerity of this is a beer for the locals, you know? And and do consumers ever go, hey, there's not actually, you know, I want to go and visit the Great Northern Brewery. Where is it? You know, yeah, look, we do, we definitely do get that. Um, I think it's important, though, that all all Great Northern is still brewed in Queensland. So it might so so all um, Great Northern for Queensland is still brewed in Queensland. So it's 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 yes, it's Yatla, it's not Cairns, um, but we are still a huge contributor to Queensland, and we still employ a lot of people at the Yatla Brewery. And so um, I, I still think it's really important that that there's that truth that most of Great Northern's volume comes out of somewhere in Queensland, even though it might not be Cairns. Um, but at the time, I think it was that heritage and that, that history is part of, of the story. It might not be the, the truth right now, but it was, as you said, homage to what people may have remembered and what may, people may have connected to um, in their beer drinking personal histories. Does the strength of that brand then, um, and you know, being made in Yadala, which is still in Queensland, does that mm. then lock a brand to being made in Queensland? You know, for example, would you be able to? And actually, I don't even know if you do um, brew it down at Yadala, or whether it is still, you know, a provenance story that uh, it, it's a beer that's from the Great North, even if it's consumed in Melbourne. Yeah, I mean, the size of the brand now just means we we can't just produce it at Yadala. Um, but we do produce all of Queensland's volume from Yatla. Mm. So, uh, yes, like having a, a, a link to a brewery or provenance becomes difficult because then it, it can cap your ability to to kind of expand in other places. I think the provenance story is definitely something that is important to the brand but most important to Queenslanders and, and something that we are really conscious of protecting and making sure we don't lose sight of that because it has been just such a big part of the success of the story so far just to sort of step uh, to back to the brand a little bit um mm. and, and and you know and i don't know if softness is the way that you would want it to de- <laughs> de- describe but it's the the lack of overt masculinity or blokiness about mm. the, the the brand which has traditionally been associated with you know a lot of beer brands that how has that sort of outdoors brand appeal um but without the people being projected upon it lets you adapt the brand now and uh, I, I guess 
in saying that, one of my favourite beer ads for the last few years was the Great Northern ad, um, I think it was for Father's Day last year, where mm. Daniel Gordiello and his dad, Luigi, um, Daniel was mm. the former principal dancer for the Australian Ballet, I think. Correct, yeah. Um, and he and his dad doing a, you know, going on a fishing trip. So we're still talking about the outdoors and being in the outdoors but you've got you know, a, a much softer masculinity being projected. And the relationship with him and his dad was, again, not a traditional sort of blokey punch on the shoulder type. You know, there was a lot of you know, hugging and you know, genuine overt affection between them that was very, mm-hmm. very different from a beer ad. Yes. Yeah. And it was our, I guess, like, you know, Great Northern really when, when we launched the brand – really was moving away from those those stereotypical beer advertising tropes and, and part of its success as well was because we did that. Um, the second thing is we were very consistent. So, you know, over the last 10 years, we've had very, very consistent advertising in terms of how we've presented to market, the tagline, the packaging, you know, it's all been very consistent. And, and that Father's Day spot you're referencing was our first real deviation from the traditional formula. Um, and it was it was hugely successful because I think it just shows that um, society has evolved and we are a brand that has continued to evolve as society evolves and and it was that that spot was really about trying to build a bit more depth of connection into the brand. So you know we what we represent is not just boating, camping, fishing, hiking. The outdoors is incredibly powerful and restorative for ourselves and our relationships and we wanted to give people a bit of a window into that because that is Great Northern's heart and home and that's what it has the power to do and and so we want we wanted to do a little bit more than just you know the the journey of people having a great time in the great outdoors it was to really showcase the brand in a new way um to try and expose it to different drinkers. You know, it's not just about talking to the same people who love your brand, but how can we show what this brand's mean to what this brand means to people who may not have experienced Great Northern or who might not understand what the brand is about. Um, and it was received really, really well. It's it's one of my favorite pieces of work as well. And that was continued again this year with the um, what was it, the Great Escape or the Great the, Return? The Great Return. Um, yeah. Again, two young men, um, you know, a, a much softer relationship than the mm. sort of blokes in rugby shorts, uh, you know, taking the Mickey out of each other. There was a genuine bond between the between the two guys. Yeah, and it's been, and you know that story was to talk to the probably a lot of what people have felt this year. Um, it has been a hard year. Our relationships have been fractured. We've had a lack of connection with the great outdoors. I'm in Victoria. I still have a lack of connection with the great outdoors. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hopefully not for much All of this talk about boating, um, fishing, camping, and you're still uh, trapped in a bubble. But there was, there is this moment, and there is this tension that there was that was real. Um, that people were feeling this this disconnection from themselves, their relationships, and the great outdoors, and. And what that spot was there for is to really show that um, having a beer with a mate on a great trip is incredibly restorative and incredibly powerful. Those sorts of ads will never replace the, you know, the ones we run all the time. But it are, they are those moments throughout the year where we can just show Great Northern in a different light, connect to a different drinker or a new audience and, and add some depth to the brand. Now, 
Maybe you can answer a question um, for us because sure. you know, we spend far too much time in the Brews News office talking about beer, but then again, that's our job. And <laughs> when, when that ad came out, we thought, oh, that's, that's, that's lovely. And then suddenly one of the um, guys in it, you know, sort of made a point of, sort of saying, you know, my mate, you know, he's been overseas and, you know, um, my, my wife's pregnant. And it was essentially my wife's pregnant and we're going to bugger off for a week because we've been in lockdown. And we sort of thought, oh, geez, it, it, it just kind of jarred. And so there was, um, there's a couple of uh, young women in the office who were sort of having this discussion about whether that was a reasonable and fair thing to do and why that was included when it seemed an unnecessary bit of detail. But then uh, somebody commented on the uh, Beers of Conversation Facebook group and mm. said um, there was a famous Gruen transfer discussion about why there's always four blokes in beer ads and... The breakdown was one is an alcoholic, um, two means that they could be gay, three just doesn't work, and so there's always four blokes. And uh, they suggested that well, you can't have two blokes in a beer ad for this reason. Was there any thought to you know, why they sort of included the fact that they were nicking off on their leaving their wives at home? Um, no, there wasn't. Uh, <laughs> okay, I might have to go watch it. that. Um, I might have to go watch that current episode. That sounds very interesting. Um, <laughs> I think it was one of the, the very, very early, and I can send you a link. It was one of the very yeah. early uh, Gruen ad. That, ep- that ep- sounds, sounds like an interesting analysis. Um, look, the, the the way we made that ad, and, and very similar to Father's Day, which is very, very different to how we usually make a beer ad, is that it was completely unscripted. And what we did was we just looked for a story. So for Daniel on the Ouija, it was calling for submissions for people who needed to go on a camping trip with their dad, tell us your story. And similarly for the great return, it was, it's been a hard year, tell us your story and, and you know, we'll, we'll make it into a spot. Um, so that was just their story and, and really trying to understand, I, I guess like I can see why people may have interpreted for him pissing off and leaving his wife at home but it was I guess their lives and and it was trying to tell a story of many different pressures many different things that were going on and a little weekend away can have an incredibly restorative effect um so yeah it was it was their truth and their story and we didn't want to doctor it too much but uh yeah I can I can see how it would have started the conversation (laughs) well again it it, it, it's one of those things that uh sometimes you can over read the tea leaves and uh, yeah. when something like that you, you, you know how many hands these things go through and you just sort of wonder um, yeah. <laughs> whether, whether how much thinking was behind every individual word but anyway um, so yeah. but moving on and going back um, touching back to the Cascade for example where mm-hmm. on one level it was a mainstream brand and it was trying to sort of connect with um, craft beer people without separating you know with a, a beer brand like Great Northern is there that same tension um, of, for, for example, do you know how many, uh, you know, what percentage of Great Northern drinkers are uh, women, for example, you know, who are sometimes a hidden demographic in beer? Yeah, so we, we're not the, um, we don't have the highest consumption of within female beer drinkers, um, but we have a higher than average consumption. So um, we are a more probably unisex brand for want of a better word than, than maybe some of the others. Um, I think the way we've presented the brand to market has really helped that. You know, we, we've never tried to target men or women. We target people who love the great outdoors and who love a good time. And, and what I love about that is that it's non-discriminatory. You know, you don't have to be young or old or male or female to enjoy getting outside and, and you know, spending some time in a beautiful place. And so, because of that, we've really connected with a very broad demographic, not just male or female, but 
young and old, um, you know, Queenslanders, non-Queenslanders, whoever it is, there is this unifier that connects us all and it is that love of nature and that, that sense of place. Is that a deliberate strategy or is that something that you stumbled upon with the execution and you found that it resonated in that way? I would definitely say, and I can't speak for those who've come before me, mm. I would say it was a happy accident. Um, you know, something that m- maybe not by um, design, by default, but certainly something that we've maintained. And that's where a credit to all the people who've worked on Great Northern for many years is often when new brand people come on, they want to put their own stamp and, and change things. Um <laughs> But this hasn't happened. That hasn't happened on Great Northern. There's been a real consistency um, because there is recognition for what works, and you don't need to fix what's not broken. I think we need to evolve. Absolutely, um, what we're doing with Great Northern Zero, some of the work we've done with Father's Day and the Great Return, is is about evolving the brand and making sure that we're still relevant and we're still meeting those needs of our drinkers and our customers. But the formula is working and, and so we don't need to, to break it. And I, I recently did an interview with uh, your rivals over at Forex and they've launched mm-hmm. their Forex uh, Try and they were willing to concede that Great Northern is the number one um, brand, beer brand in the country, which for a long time it was always a back and forth about who had value and who had volume. But they, I think they uh, conceded... Um, that it was number one. So it, obviously that's something that you uh, say yourselves? Uh, no. So uh. we actually don't consider ourselves number one um, uh. because there is many different ways to cut the data. So the way we cut the data, when we look at the last year, um, we're not number one. And the thing is there is lots of different data points. There is lots of different ways to look at it. And so it's, so it's just not something that we call out because, the data might change and it'll be a different story tomorrow. <laughs> and, you're, yeah, and you're sort of suddenly doing a lap of honour and there's no crowd cheering. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so what sort of, how do you cut the cake? You know, what, what are the differences? Because value and volume are two of the commonly uh, dis- discussed ones. What mm-hmm. are the ways that you, uh, without talking about Great Northern here, that you decide what is the number one brand in, in a category or overall? Um, so, the, yep, there's value, there's volume. Um, some of those data points aren't super conclusive. So, they might look at retail sales only versus bulk sales. So, you're not getting, you know, a real picture of mm-hmm. the total market. There's also um, in marketing, we use brand power, which is basically a, a number where your all your different market factors are taken into consideration, your awareness, your consumption, your distribution, and it gives you a, a score. Um, and so, you know, from a power perspective, there are many brands that are a lot stronger than Great Northern, Bibi, Carlton, Forex have been around for a lot longer than we have. So their, their levels of awareness um, are, are a lot greater. So that's another different way we can cut it. I guess like looking solely at volume or value for us isn't, isn't super conclusive. That's it's interesting that you say that because I know that um, when we ran, for example, the uh, VB scent um, mm. story, just the level of engagement on that was phenomenal. Mm. It was it was huge, and the, the the amount of even when we ran the VB cozies, people genuinely love the brand for all the uh, challenges that beer sales are having. The brand still resonates so strongly with so many passionate people. That's exactly right. And, and you know, the sort of engagement that things like VB Cologne or VBT get is incredible. So 
I, th- I just think how can you classify what is the number one beer in the country when you might not be selling the most beer, but you get that sort of love and reaction from your community. Like that's priceless. That would do my head day in, day out of seeing this latent passion, but still mm. some trying to work out how to activate that into sales. Yeah, and it's funny, like there's um you'd be surprised like who's who's resonating with the the baby brand. Like there's definitely those loyalists and the people who've loved it for a long time, but this new generation of drinker also love it. I think it's retro cool or whatever it's called these days, but um yeah, Don't say hipster, you'll scare people off. Uh, I'm not saying hipster, <laughs> but re- retro cool, you know, that uh, there's, it's got some cultural cachet, I think, BB. Like they all do, BB, Carlton, Forex, there's, there's latent love there. Um, they represent Australia and our heritage and I think that they'll never, they'll never go away. And you're stepping out of this voodoo witchcraft that is beer marketing into a strategic <laughs> planning role. I know, I know. It's um, it's it's bittersweet, really. Like I, I'm so grateful to continue in the in the CB business to be able to um, work with different people, work on longer term strategic projects. Um, but I'll definitely be keeping a watchful eye on Great Northern. Um, the brand will continue to have fantastic people working on it. Um, Hugh Jelly, who is currently working on VB, is is taking the helm of Great Northern. Um, some of the stuff he's done on VB has been incredible, and so we're I'm so excited to see how uh, how Great Northern evolves. Um, but I think I might ask to you know see a few ads before they go to market. <laughs> It'll always have a very special place in my heart, that's for sure. I, I've had a great uh, sort of just background chat with Hugh before and I've wanted him to get him on the podcast uh, ever since uh, to talk about all things VB. So we might even uh, see if we can tee that up once he's got his feet under your old desk and uh, go back and have a very similar chat with him. But uh, Antonio Chorchari, thank you so much. for a, It's been a wonderful uh, and insightful chat about some of my favourite beer brands. Oh, thank you, Matt. It's um, it was nice seeing uh, talking to you. We've come full circle. I think the first time I met you would have been at one of those first harvest special dinners or PR events we used to put on. Um, so yeah, it was nice to to top and tail my time in marketing with a with a great chat with you. As it's probably one of my first meetings or first interactions working at CUB where where you would have been involved. So um, thanks for the opportunity. Um, it's, it's been great. And all the best in the new job. Thank you very much. And that was Antonia Chorchari. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryer Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of this conversation and the Radio Brews News channel. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au.